While most classes, we usually talk about the parsha or a Jewish holiday coming up. This year, this today, we're not going to talk about the weekly Torah portion or a Jewish holiday, but we're actually going to talk about a non-Jewish holiday. Um, we're going to be talking about it because we Jews have lived for all, all, almost a thousand years, or really over a thousand years in um, Christian lands. And um, where we have to know how Judaism responds to the majority religion that we live amongst. So now, as we explain about the Jewish reaction to Christianity, which is our, the Jewish view of Christianity, which is our topic for today, we're going to try to avoid mentioning names of other gods. The Torah tells us, Shem Elohim Acherem Lo Taskiru, do not mention the name of other gods. We're going to soon, later in the class, explain why. And so therefore, we're not going to mention the name of the Christian founder by his English name. So now Jews generally would refer to him by nicknames. Most common nickname that um, appears to be very ancient is the name Yeshu. Yeshu was probably not his Hebrew name. It's not a Jewish name. His Hebrew name was almost certainly the Jewish name Yehoshua, which is a common Jewish name. Um, but we referred to him by a similar name, Yeshu, which is an acronym for Yemach Shemo Vezichro. May his name be obliterated and may his name and memory be obliterated. And so um, we've used that acronym to refer to him historically. Um, also, Jews often, when they didn't want to say, use a derogatory form living in Christian lands, it could sometimes be very dangerous. You had to be very careful. So they didn't want to use a derogatory term. They would just refer to him as Oisai Ish. That's the way they refer to him in Yiddish often. Oisai Ish, that man. That's the way they would refer to him. Jewish law, again, forbids us mentioning him by name or doesn't forbid it, but uh, generally we try to avoid it. And so, um, we, therefore, we're going to refer to him. Um, I hope nobody gets offended by this. We're going to refer to him as Yeshu, um, which is the most common way he's referred to among Jews. So, the first thing we're going to deal with, before we talk about how Judaism actually addresses Christianity today, it's important, firstly, to know why Judaism rejects Christianity and Yeshu. It's very important to know why. And this is really a two-part question. It's important to be clear on this. There's really two different things. This question number one is why Jews originally didn't believe that Yeshua was Moshiach. And we do believe in Moshiach. We did a class about it a couple weeks ago. We do believe in Moshiach, the future redeemer, that will um, bring Israel, gather the scattered of Israel back to the promised land, rebuild the temple, bring in an er usher in an era of peace. Um, we did not believe at the time that Yeshua was Moshiach. We do not believe that today. So the first thing that we have to explain is why Jews refuse to accept him as Moshiach. The second issue is why Jews in general reject Christianity. So let's deal with one at a time. Why we reject Yeshua as why we reject Yeshua as Moshiach, and more importantly, why Jews at the time of his own day rejected him as Moshiach, as the re Jewish Redeemer. We don't really know for certain the reason why. We do know that they didn't believe in him, but we don't know why. Why don't we know why? 
because there's no reference to him in Jewish sources. They never told us why, because his Jewish contemporaries, whose books survived until today, and we have many of those, never mentioned him. They never heard of him. Or if they did, didn't bother to mention him. Not only that, there is no mention of Yeshu in Greek or Roman sources or any contemporary sources um, before the late 2nd century. Uh, there are no, there's no mention of him in any contemporary sources, Jewish, Roman, or Greek, um, whatsoever. So nobody really knew who he was. So we don't know why they didn't believe in him. They obviously didn't. They may have never even known about him. They never even heard of him. All we know about him is from the New Testament. Now, some historians have suggested that he never existed. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm not going to get into that. Let's assume for now that he did. I haven't studied the New Testament, which is the only source that we know of his story and what he did. Um, I wouldn't, um, I don't, don't plan to, and I wouldn't advocate for other Jews to do so either. We have other import, more important things for us to study, the Torah. But here are a few possible reasons based on what, we, what I do know of the New Testament, why um, we did not accept it. Firstly, um, he likely did things that were against Jewish law. Now, this has been an old debate, reading different passages in the New Testament, and were the things that he did, did he violate the Sabbath? Did he not violate the Sabbath? Did he do other things against Jewish law? Um, this is hotly debated by Jews, non-Jews that comment on the New Testament. I am no expert in the New Testament. I'm not going to take a position on it. But likely, if that is what happened, that would be a very good explanation why Jews in, of that time did not bother accepting him as the Moshiach, as the um, Jewish savior. Um, he definitely spoke against the Pharisees, which was a Hellenist Greek term for the Sanhedrin, the religious high council, the religious leadership at the time. Um, he may have only spoken against the corrupt ones and not against other ones. There's been a movement recently to rehabilitate him as a practicing Jewish rabbi. Um, he may have been... He may not have been. I'm no expert in the New Testament. I really don't know. Um, so that's a one possible reason why we did not believe that he was the Mashiach. Another, perhaps more likely reason, or likely reason, is he was probably an eccentric cla claimant to the Moshiach at a time when there were dozens of these guys wandering around. And we know from multiple sources of that period, including Midrashic sources, from Josephus and from many other sources, that it was very common for individuals to claim to be the Moshiach. Um, firstly, this has actually been very common throughout history. Almost every Jewish community, and for that matter, almost every non-Jewish community, and even today, you often bump into Moshiachs. It's a very common thing throughout history. There are many, many eccentric people throughout history who have claimed to be Moshiach. During his, that period, under Roman rule of Israel, when Israel was going through a very, very unstable time, there were a lot more Moshiachs um, at that time. And we know that. We have a lot of evidence for that. So he may have just been one of many. Why would you pay attention to him? He was another another Moshiach out there. Every community had him. So they obviously people didn't pay too much attention to him. Yes? That is a good question. We did. That is a good question. We did a class about Moshiach, but I'm going to at least address that in a moment. 
guys who promoted him and sold him. <laughs> he had people that sold him later. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sorry? How did? Did he not say he was Mashiach? Okay, he never said. Okay, maybe he never believed he was Mashiach. He only came to um, help the people. Later people thought he was Mashiach. Also possible, possible reason why they never believed he was Mashiach. Okay, most importantly, generally the Jewish view of Mashiach, and this is important, is not that some guy comes out of the woodworks claiming to be the Jewish anointer and the Jewish redeemer. We never paid much attention to those people. We've had many, many of those people over our history. That's a pretty common thing. There's a lot of those people. We see Moshiach from a different perspective. We see Moshiach as a born leader, a person who is a known leader of Israel, a, um, a well-respected, well-known individual who is a well-known scholar, and such a person then leads Israel, Jews back to Israel, and that way, and then declares himself as the Moshiach, as the anointed one. And our example of Moshiach is David. King David is called Moshiach Harisha, the first anointed one. David was a young man who actually had a very troubled upbringing in his early youth and was rejected by his family and tribe. But later... He became, after slaying Goliath, he became King Saul's son-in-law, general of the armies, and he was a great scholar who studied under the prophet Samuel, the religious leader at the time, and um, was a great scholar, civil leader, righteous individual, son-in-law of the king, and he was raised to become king of Israel. So it wasn't just taking an individual who kind of shows up and says, I'm the Moshiach, but it's somebody who's already well-respected, already well-known, recognized as a pious individual, as a scholar, as a Jewish leader, um, who goes through the steps to bring um, Israel to the, to the redemption. So, so, that would be, so that's why we never really took any of these people very seriously. Regardless of why at the time they didn't believe his claims, if he even claimed that he was Moshiach, or his students claims that he is Moshiach, um, clearly he's not Moshiach, because Moshiach is not here yet. For Moshiach to come, we would need, Moshiach would have to follow through the basic things that our prophet said that Moshiach would do, which would be gathering in the exiles. In other words, the fact that we live here today is evidence that Moshiach is not here yet. Um, he would then become king over Israel, leader of Israel, bring everyone to recognize God, rebuild the temple, and bring about world peace. So we can be certain Moshiach is not here yet, and so clearly he is not the Moshiach. Could he yet be Moshiach? Can someone be Moshiach? So there's no clear source in our books of our prophets or books of our sages telling us that Moshiach must be alive, that Moshiach cannot come from the dead. The concept of revival of the dead in a future time is definitely a Jewish concept. We do believe that the dead will come back to life. Um, generally, it's thought that will happen after Moshiach comes. Is it possible that someone dead will come back to life before Moshiach comes? There are stories of it in our prophecy, so it's in our books of prophets. So it's theoretically possible. 
Can someone who came back from the come back from the dead and be Moshiach? In theory, it is possible. But if you think about it, there's been hundreds of millions of Jews throughout our history. What are the chances that it's going to be just the one that, mil that billions of non-Jews have been claiming will be the one? Um, just that guy is going to be out of millions of Jews that have lived throughout history. What are the chances that it's just going to happen to be that guy? Not very likely. Can Moshiach be a woman? Probably not. That's a, um, that's a, that's a subject of another class. A subject for another class. Very good. Okay. So that's with regard to, is he Moshiach? Um, we didn't believe he was at the time. Possible theories as to why. Most likely they never heard of him. Um, could he be, what, was he the Moshiach? Definitely not. Could he be Moshiach? Most probably not. Um, more importantly, why did Jews reject Christianity? So, well, obviously, if we don't believe that he's the Moshiach, we don't believe that Moshiach has come, then obviously we reject Christianity. But more importantly, Christianity rejected Judaism. Christianity firstly rejected the commandments. And at a later stage in its development, but Christianity as we know it today and the way it was already developed uh, in 100 years after or a couple decades after it began, um, it rejected the commandments. Rejecting the commandments effectively rejects Judaism. So it's a rejection of Judaism. We cannot accept any belief system that rejects the commandments. Um, it also rejected the authority of our religious leadership, the Sanhedrin, which is central to Jewish belief, is the fact that there was a Jewish council, though we no longer have one. We did have a Jewish council that did have religious authority, and at the time when Christianity began, there still was this religious council, and it rejected that. Um, and furthermore, um, it rejected uh, Christianity was accepted non-Jews brought in non-Jews and essentially became a religion for non-Jews while we have a process of converting to Judaism which involves, um, which involves a commitment to follow God's commandments. Bringing non-Jews into it just because they believe in the New Testament is not a way people join the Jewish people. So it became a religion that rejected Judaism and didn't even have any Jews in it anymore, or was mostly non-Jews. So it effectively became a different religion. For all those reasons, we reject Christianity. Most importantly, though, and this is the most important part, most forms of Christianity, almost all forms of Christianity today, with a handful of exceptions, accept the belief in the Trinity. Now, the Trinity, the Trinity as... Most Christian groups believe today, believe in more than one God. And that makes Christianity idolatrous in a way that they no longer believe in a Jewish single God. And that moves Christianity from a God-believing religion that just rejects the Jewish basics but still believes in God to a religion that we consider idol worship. We consider a re religion that believes in additional gods. Now, I'm soon going to explain it's not the same as pagan idol worship, and there's important differences, and we're going to explain exactly why and how. Before I get to that, though, uh, so 
In addition, so now Christianity also added in a lot of symbols of God. We Jews never had symbols of God. We don't believe you can have a symbol of God because God is infinite. But Christianity brought in symbols of God. The cross, the hosts, and all sorts of other, the, um, and all sorts of other symbols, especially in Catholicism and, other part, and Orthodox Christianity, they brought in other symbols. Those symbols are, as, from our perspective, idols. And we would treat them as idols the way we would treat. And we, the same rule, many of the rules that would apply to idols would apply to them as well. And so therefore, we don't only reject Christianity as because we believe it to be untrue or because it rejects Judaism, but we also reject it as idol worship. So there's a common myth out there, which is that somehow the books of the Midrash and Talmud are anti-Christian. So before I go further about how Jews respond to Christianity, I just want to dispel that myth out there. And I have heard it um, even from Jews. I've heard it from many non-Jews I've heard it from. And people who are not trying, people that like Jews or Jewish themselves, and we're not trying to, you know, be... Um, say anything anti-Semitic, but they were just under the impression that the Talmud is anti-Christian. Now, this claim is a medieval Christian claim that developed in the 12th, 13th centuries, together with the blood libel and many other ridiculous Jews poisoning wells and many other ridiculous Christian claims. And the reason for this claim is they couldn't imagine why Jews were not converting to Christianity. It just baffled them why Jews were not converting. So they decided that the reason why they don't convert must be because the Talmud that they spend time studying, because every Jew studies Talmud, so the Talmud that they study must be anti-Christian and is convincing them not to accept Christianity. And therefore they burned the Talmud and they forbade study of Talmud because they thought that the Talmud is what is keeping us away from Christianity. The Talmud, of course, is the most important book of Jewish law. It's a massive work. Um, it's a massive work, 36, 37 volumes, um, 27,500 pages of small print. Uh, sorry, tw 2,700 pages of small print. Um, Massive, massive, massive work, and um, written in Aramaic and Aramaic and Hebrew, and it's the most comprehensive work of Jewish law. It was written in the 400s in Mesopotamia. Um, the Talmud and really all the body of work from that period, which includes Mishnah, Brita, Tosefta, Midrash, many. There's a different categories of books from that period. Um, so they're often blamed, they're often accused of being anti-Christian. Then they found all sorts of references in the Talmud. They studied the Talmud. They taught themselves Aramaic, studied the Talmud. They got Jews that converted to Christianity, um, self-hating Jews, to study the Talmud and find all sorts of references in the Talmud to Christianity that has anti-insulting things against Christianity. Now, most of those have nothing to do with Christianity. We just They found them. Um, a lot of the things that they found were written before Christianity even existed. But even the things that were written later in the Talmud itself um, didn't really deal with Christianity for a simple reason. Most Jews didn't live near Christians. 
the Talmud wasn't written any near any Christians. Um, Christianity, the religion only really became large, began to grow in Egypt and in, in Israel and Syria around the early 200s is when it really began to spread. Um, until the late 100s, early 200s, Christianity didn't really grow that large, hadn't been that large. It probably wasn't noticed, it was just one of many sects. Um, by the late 100s, early 200s, it was really, really growing, especially among Romans and Greeks. Um, by the 300, early 300s, Rome already adapted Christianity and it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. By the 400s, all Romans and Greeks were Christians. There were no Roman pagans left. Um, so most of those adherents were Greeks. By this time, though, by the 200s, around the time that Christianity became popular in the Levant, in Syria, Israel, Egypt, around that, until that period, Israel had been the center of Jewish life. While most Jews didn't live in Israel anymore, Israel had been the center of Jewish life. But around the early 200s, Roman persecution of Jews became so intense that most Jewish leaders and most Jewish scholars left Israel. Most of them moved to Babylon or Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq. Iraq at the time had the largest, wealthiest Jewish community in the world. And in fact, throughout much of the period of the Second Temple, Iraq had the largest, wealthiest Jewish community in the world. So while Judaism was centered in Israel, Babylonia was really where most Jews lived. The leadership, religious leadership, was all in Israel. But most Jews lived in Babylonia, where they were very successful. When Roman persecution reached a tipping point in the early 200s, many Jews from Israel moved to Babylonia meaning that the community in Israel dwindled, but more importantly, the yeshivas in Israel dwindled. Most scholars were now in Babylon, and the center of Jewish study and Jewish life moved from Israel to Babylon in the early 200s. The Talmud was compiled entirely in Babylon in the 400s. By then, there were very few Jews still living in Israel due to Roman persecution. Um, there was no yeshiva in Israel at that time. So they were all living in Mesopotamia in Babylon, all under Parthian rule. The non-Jews living around them were Zoroastrian. When the Talmud speaks of religious debate, and there isn't much of Talmud, Talmud is generally Jewish law, but it has a little religious debate, a few paragraphs, the little religious debate it has is with Zoroastrians. Because that's who they lived around. They lived with Zoroastrians. It does mention a handful of places that mentions the term Yeshu. I think it mentions four or five times the word Yeshu. Um, those quotes from the Talmud don't really fit historically well with the founder of Christianity. One time the Tal Talmud speaks of him as being of a Yeshu who is the student of Rabbi Yeshua ben Prachia. Rabbi Yeshua ben Prachia lived in the days of of um, Horkinus, um, the Hasmonean king, about 80 BCE, or about 80 years before the Christian Yeshua was born. There's another quote in the Talmud where the Talmud speaks of five, there was a Yeshua that had five students, and it names his five students as Matai, Nekai, Netzar, Buni, and Toda. The only one of those names that fit with any of the apostles is 
Matai, which could be Matthew, right? None of the other ones even fit. So one of two things. Either Talmudic scholars had heard something about Christianity from a distance because that's what the Romans kept, and they were passing on kind of information that they really didn't know much about, or they were referring to other people. One of the two, regardless, they didn't really deal with Christians very much. So we didn't really respond to Christianity much at all. That changed in the 10th century. The early 600s, the Arabs um, adapted Islam and invaded um, and conquered Persia, conquered the uh, Persian Empire, bringing all the Jews in Mesopotamia and in Persia, all under Arab rule, all under Muslim rule. Muslims then moved um, westward. They captured Israel, Syria, Egypt, traveling all across North Africa, all the way to Spain. Jews followed them through, um, through Israel, Egypt, North Africa, to Spain. And Jewish communities now sprung up across the North Africa and even as far away as Spain. With time, though, Muslims were not as tolerant of Jews as the Persians were. And the Muslims began to persecute Jews. And so Jews, this, gradually the community in Mesopotamia, in Iraq, dwindled. And by the late 10 hundreds, many, many Jews were moving out of, uh, many Jews were moving out of Iraq. Some were moving to North Africa and Spain. Many were moving to Europe. At the same time, Jews in Greece, um, which was under Byzantine rule, and Turkey, which was then Byzantine, and Jews in Italy, which was then just a mess during this period, were moving, pushing northward to France and to Germany, which was all part of then the Franco kingdoms. And uh, Jews were pushing northward, and Jews, set, uh, Jews developed cities along the Rhine River and developed the early Ashkenazic communities. And now this began around the 900s, and by the late 10 hundreds, there were very large communities in Europe, in France, and in Germany. And so now, for the first time, there were large Jewish communities living among Christians. Very large Jewish communities with yeshivas, with great centers of learning, with great culture, living among Christians for the first time. We didn't live in large numbers among Christians again until the 9-10-hundreds. Jews fell even further under Christian rule in the 1100s. There was a Muslim group. Muslims had, were not great for Jews, persecuted Jews, but were tolerant of Jews, and in many periods were very tolerant, and Jews thrived, especially in North Africa and in Spain. Jews thrived mostly under Muslim rule. In 1150, in the mid-1100s, there was a group called the Al-Mohids. The Al-Mohids were the equivalent of ISIS today. They were a extremist Muslim group that wanted for, were going to forcibly convert everyone to Islam. And they captured much of North Africa, chasing many Jews out of North Africa, um, northward towards Christian lands. They then captured all of Muslim Spain, which was then the southern Spain, the grand city of Cordoba, which was a massive city of over a million people, half of which were Jewish. All the Jews were forced to flee. All the Jews moved northward to northern Spain, to Aragon, to Barcelona, to um, the, around Barcelona and Catalonia. 
Jews moved to Christian Spain. Now hundreds of thousands of Jews that had lived in Muslim lands now found themselves under Christian rule. Unfortunately, under Christian rule, we weren't taken care of very well. We were persecuted. They constantly tried to get us to convert, forcibly convert us. Um, starting in 1096 with the first crusades, they, they, they would um, kill us, give us a choice to convert or die. They later forced us to debate with Christians, forced us to, the most famous debate was with Ramban, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, Nachmanides. They would force Jews to listen to sermons every Sunday. Jews had to go, or sometimes on Saturday, they would have priests come to the synagogue to give sermons, or they would force Jews to go to church on Sunday to listen to sermons. They would force us to listen to and force us to try to convert. Many Jews chose to die rather than convert. Over the years, definitely tens of thousands, probably in the hundreds of thousands of Jews were killed um, over the Middle Ages um, because they refused to convert to Christianity. And there were regular pogroms. Jews were thrown out of one country, out of England, later out of France. They were thrown out of twice, out of many Italian states, out of many German states. Eventually they were thrown out of Spain and Portugal. So we struggled with Christianity a lot. Throughout that time, we always rejected Christianity. Throughout that time, despite what they did to us, we always rejected Christianity. We also many times gave our lives, our ancestors gave our lives, almost everyone here, Everyone here is almost certainly descendant, descendant of Jews who gave their lives to be, um, to uh, agree to, be, uh, would rather be killed than to convert to Christianity. It affected the ancestors of every single European Jew, without a doubt. So, but our problem with Christianity is not only the persecution. Thankfully, we live in a time where Christ Christianity has made huge changes in the 19th and 20th century. Christians today are very tolerant, no longer persecute us. Um, there is almost no Christian anti-Semitism visible today, religious-based anti-Semitism. In fact, the tables have somewhat turned. But much of the Islamic world today is anti-Semitic. Christians are almost uh, very rarely anti-Semitic, and those who are are almost never in the name of Christianity. There may be anti-Semitic stereotypes that are kind of just die hard. Not maybe, there are definitely anti-Semitic stereotypes, especially among people that don't have a lot of interaction with Jews, but not anti-Semites that hate Jews and definitely not in the name of Christianity. Um, so we, and we have to be very thankful and appreciate that. While we don't forget our history, we have to appreciate that change. But our problem with Christianity is not only persecution, we consider it idol worship. And this is important. Now, it should be clear, Judaism came to reject idol worship. Before Judaism came around, everybody worshipped idols. Everyone was pagan. Abraham recognized God. Abraham rejected idols. And so we see idol worship as wrong. The most rejecting idol worship is the most central tenant of Judaism. Not only is it the most central tenant of Judaism, we find idol worship offensive. And the Torah says this time and again. God finds idol worship an abomination, disgusted by it. We find idol worship offensive. And so, and... Um, 
And the reason why we find that offensive is, think about it from God's perspective. At least if we give God, put God in a human mind, so to speak. God created our world, the ultimate creator of everything, and created us with the sole purpose of recognizing him. That's our goal. He didn't make us automatically recognize him. That would have been too easy. Created us so we don't automatically recognize him. But our sole goal is to recognize him and appreciate him. And then someone decides that rather than believing in God or in addition to believing in God, to believe in some other power other than God. That's offensive to God. That's offensive to believers in God. Anyone who believes in one God should find that offensive. The the example that the Torah gives to equates it to, and throughout Torah we always equate it to, is that of a spouse. You, no one appreciates watching their spouse flirt with somebody else. Definitely you don't want to see your spouse in a relationship with someone else. Even if they tell you, I still love you, but... I like that person too. Nobody wants to see that. You find that offensive. You want your spouse to show their affection, your spouse to show their affection exclusively to you. So God in the same way, we have a relationship with God, believing that there are any other powers is offensive to God. And by extension, it should be offensive to us as well. So we find idol worship offensive. And because we find idol worship offensive, the Torah tells us we must keep far away from any idol worship. For that reason, we do not say the names of idols, which is why we do not mention the name of any idol. We also do not celebrate idolatrous events. If somebody celebrates something that is offensive to me, if your ex invites you to their marriage of the individual with whom they had cheated on, would you go? No, right? If somebody invites you to a, to a celebration, celebrating a God other than the true and only God, would you go? No. So we're for, we, for that reason, we do not go to other idolatrous celebrations or support idol worship in other ways. In any, in any way. So we won't go to, so the Torah therefore forbids us from going to any idolatrous service or from even walking into a house of worship. Now there are sometimes when you need to for other reasons, for a funeral or for something else, and we have a complex set of laws when you can and when you can't, and that's subject for itself. And if you have an individual question, I'd be happy to deal with it. But generally as a rule, we don't go to idolatrous holiday, uh, holiday events. We don't celebrate someone's idolatrous um, personal celebration, if it's a confirmation or some other form of celebration, if it involves idol worship because it's offensive to God. We, our ancestors, have given their lives not to rejecting this belief. Our grandparents were killed to, because they rejected this how can we support this belief in any way whatsoever? So therefore, we find idol worship very offensive. We don't find the people offensive. And this is, should be clear. We love the people, and we respect their right, right to worship. And I'll soon, soon explain why we do. Um, we res that's fine. We don't have a problem with the people. We love them, and we want to celebrate with them all we can. 
but we just, the one thing that we don't like, when you do the stuff that I find offensive, I'm not going to be there. Other than that, every other party you make, I'd love to come. Just not when you do something offensive to God. So, having said that about idol worship, we consider most forms of Christianity, any form that believes in the Trinity, we consider that to be idol worship. We don't, by the way, consider Islam to be idol worship or Unitarian Christian groups that don't believe in the Trinity. But any form that believes in Yeshua as a God or believes in other gods, we believe, we consider that to be idol worship. And so therefore we Jews do not give, um, we do not aid churches, help churches out in any way, not because we don't like them. They might be doing wonderful things. We could help them if a church is doing good things and they're, Funding that you're giving them is going only to that and not to the church. That's fine. If the, however, we don't help fund their service or their worship, um, which we consider offensive to God, we also will not celebrate Christmas. Christmas is a pagan holiday. Well, not a pagan. It's a Christian holiday that we consider an insult to God. And so while we're not going to tell anyone, you, we, we respect your right to celebrate it, we ourselves won't celebrate it, nor will we respond, will we join in any celebrations. Let me take some questions, and then I'm going to continue. Yes? Um, in Torah, and when we take the Yehudah, we have a concept of Kedusha, of holiness, of things in this world that we consider holy or special. We don't consider them God. Right? So we consider so we consider a Torah special, a mezuzah special, we consider a mitzvah special. We have a lot of things that we consider special. Um, for that matter, we don't have a problem with the concept of sainthood either. Um, we don't have a problem with people being um, we don't have a problem with, with people being considered special um, so long as you don't believe that they have that they're a god, that they have independent powers and th they have some sort of independent power in addition to God, separate from God, outside of God. Because it's special, it's holy. We're respecting God. You make a connection with God, yes. Because it's a holy thing, it's a special thing. Just as when we study, we make a connection with God. Every time we do a mitzvah, we make a connection with God. But we don't have items that represent God. We have nothing representing God because God has no form. Yes, Rochelle? Um, the Christians celebrate the birth of Christ, right? So how is that, uh, how is that something that they cannot... Uh, well, they're celebrating him as a God. So we have a problem, that, that, we have a problem with that. Now, so it's important to differentiate. And let, let me add this. And our... Our um, scholars have dealt with this for a thousand years because we've dealt with Christians celebrating Christmas for a thousand years. So we only have a problem with their actual Christmas celebrations. If someone's doing a holiday party where they're also going to be having a Christmas tree, we don't have a problem with that. If someone's doing, um, if it's a holiday season and they're celebrating the holiday season, we don't have a problem with that either. Um, someone wants to buy gifts, sell them gifts, that's fine. Nothing wrong with giving gifts. We have a problem specifically joining a, uh, 
Christmas party. If the party is in honor of Christmas, it's then in honor of Christianity, which we, have, we find offensive. So we have to differentiate. We don't have a problem with being involved in non non the lives of non-Jews, celebrating with non-Jews. That's fine. Um, that's excellent. That's wonderful. We only have a problem if they're celebrating Christianity in any way. You can take off work, you just can't celebrate. <laughs> you could go ice skating. You could go ice skating, yeah. Yes. So I'm not and very it was only later because of the persecution of Jews that almost a political situation, if you will, that whoever was were the leaders decided that a convert to Christianity didn't also have to become a Jew. I would suggest I'm not an expert in Christian history. I would suggest that originally Christians were trying to get adherence among the Jewish community. And at a certain point when they were failing to do so, they moved to the non-Jewish community. And they did that by allowing for non-circumcised people to be Christian. So, so Christmas is a time historically for, um, that Jews in Europe stayed out of the celebration. It was also a time, not only were we forbidden from celebrating throughout much of our, in most places, it was a dangerous time. Jews kept their shutters closed throughout the week before Christmas because their non-Jewish neighbors were getting drunk. And when they got drunk, when they drank, they would go murder Jews. So it was a very dangerous time. Uh, we had actually a term that we called Christmas. The Yiddish term for it was always nittel. Where does the word nittel come from? We don't know for certain. Some think that nittel actually means birthday in Latin, and it was an early Latin term for Christmas. Um, others like maybe in activity, right um, others suggest that the word nittel is a Aramaic term which means um, nothing in Aramaic so essentially we were deriding it by calling it nothing chances are that we latched onto a Latin term for Christmas that was also a play on words we Jews did that a lot um, so now Interestingly, there was this custom in many communities that Jews would actively proclaim their rejection of Christianity in synagogues, of course, when Christians weren't watching or else we were dead, um, on Christmas. And one way many synagogues would do it is we have the Aleinu prayer, which is an ancient prayer. Christians always thought it was anti-Christianity um, because it's about how we only worship one God. So it was composed before Christians were around, without a doubt. Um, so it predates Christianity. But Christians always felt it anti-Christianity. Many, in many communities, they forced us to take it out of the book and um, take it out of the prayer book, the Aleno prayer. And, they would, um, and often they would even burn prayer books because of it. They would, not, they would have um, guards in the synagogue to make sure we didn't recite it. But generally, when we did recite it, we didn't usually <coughs> sing it. But there was a custom in many communities to sing the Aleno on Christmas because to declare that we don't believe in Christian beliefs. Um, now, an interesting custom that developed over... Yes? I was just going to say, putting up a Christmas tree 
right now in 2017, just walking into a Starbucks, into a market, having good crisps on. It's just absolutely, I can't stand it. So, uh, Rabbi, could you comment on why Christianity and Islam has grown so much faster? I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Thank you. We have it such a great let, me, let me finish off because we're going to run out of time. Let's, let's, let me finish off, and then we will, and then I'll give more, I'll open it again to questions. So, now there was this interesting custom that developed in Ashkenazic communities, hundreds of years old, which is Jews study Torah every day. The normal thing, if you read any account of Jews in Europe, after work, remember we had no television, right? After work, the non-Jews went to the bar, the Jews went to the base medrash. That's what we did. We went to the house of study and we would study every day after work. That was the standard thing that all Jews did. The one day year that we didn't do that was Nittel, was the night, it was Christmas Eve. It was the only night that we didn't do that. We didn't study on Christmas Eve from sundown until midnight. There was this Ashkenazic custom. What's the reason for the custom? So many think that the reason why this custom developed, it was simply dangerous to walk in the streets that night. It was a dangerous night to walk in the streets. All of our anti-Semitic neighbors were drunk. They saw a Jew, they killed him, right? So it was a very dangerous time to be in the streets, so they just kept out of the streets. Others say that it actually, there was a, the reason why was because our non-Jewish neighbors were celebrating what we consider idol worship um, on that night. So we saw it as a negative night, the night of negativity in um, Christian cities, towns. And so... Um, Therefore, we didn't want to study Torah on such a negative night. Many scholars thought it was a foolish custom, but there was this custom for many generations, for hundreds of years in Eastern Europe. Very strange custom because generally Jews don't react to other religions, um, but here we did for some reason. So now while Jews reject Christianity, as I've made it very, very clear, we consider it idol worship and we've given our lives not to accept Christianity, throughout the years, and all of us have grandparents who have done so, who have been killed not to accept Christianity. And so while we reject Christianity as a form of idol worship, we don't put it in the same category as paganism. And this is very important. This is very important. We believe that Christians, like Muslims, are within the Noahide laws, keep the Noahide laws. We believe that there is an obligation to teach that all, for all of humanity, in addition to our 613 commandments, which we don't try to proselytize to get anyone to convert to Judaism, but we do have a requirement to try to get all of humanity to accept the Noahide laws. The Noahide laws are to believe in God, in one God, that is, Re, or believe in God and in, in respect God, not only believe in but respect Him, not curse Him. Um, family values, which is prohibits idolatry, incest, and any other form of um, and um, keeping to proper families, valuing property, not stealing, not taking other people's money, repro uh, respecting property, valuing life and not killing, not taking lives unnecessarily, not being cruel to animals, and creating and following a just legal system. So those are our seven Noahide laws, universal laws every human on earth is expected to keep. Now, 
Non-Jews are, we expect non-Jews to believe in God as well. We reject paganism. If there are pagans, we are obligated to try to convince them, for that matter, if there are people that don't respect life or don't respect families, uh, family values, we are obligated to try to change their mind. Um, now, non, the Talmud tells us that while non-Jews are forbidden from believing in multiple gods, as long as they believe in the ultimate God, we don't have a problem if they believe in what we call shituf, or subservient gods. So in other words, if you believe in a, in a pagan kind of God, the God of light, the God of sun, the God of growth, the God of health, and the Greek kind of gods, that we're not okay with. You have to believe in an absolute infinite God. Everyone has to believe in an absolute infinite God. If you believe there are two absolute infinite gods, also have a problem with that. Or you believe there's an absolute infinite God and another God, also have a problem with that. But if you believe there's an absolute infinite God, and then you believe there are other lower powers that are subservient, that the absolute infinite God is on top of and in charge of and controls, then we don't, well, we can say that's idol worship and we, we, we're not allowed to believe in that. We don't consider that outside of the Noahide laws. That's within the general Noahide laws for all of humanity. So for that reason, Christians that believe in the Trinity, they believe in the ultimate infinite God. They believe in Yeshu as a lower God that is ultimately answerable to the ultimate infinite God. And so we don't have a problem with that. They're not outside of the Noahide laws. So while we will never believe in it, and we personally find it offensive to God, and we consider it idol worship, we don't, think, we don't feel responsible in any way to convince Christians out of Christianity. We are very comfortable with Christians observing Christianity. That's just fine. And we respect their right to do so. And we do not try to discourage them in any way from um, keeping Christianity, just as we would not discourage Muslims from keeping Islam, because Islam, so long as they believe in not killing, um, is part of, is, stands within the Noahide laws. And for that matter, any monotheistic religion that is within the Noahide laws, we're very comfortable with. Not for ourselves. We have 613 commandments. We, as God's people, are offended by idol worship. And we don't personally do anything that involves idol worship. But if you want to do it, we don't mind. As long as you believe in God, we're okay with that. We don't have a problem with that. In fact, we believe that Christianity and Islam came to the world as part of an overall progression throughout history towards the belief in God. Maimonides says, and these, I'm going to quote the words of Maimonides. He says, ultimately, all the deeds of Yeshua of Nazareth and the Yishmaelite who arose after him, that's Mohammed, only served to prepare the way for Mashiach's coming and the improvement of the world, motivating nations to serve God as Stephania states, I will transform the peoples to a purer language. They will all call upon the name of God and serve him with one purpose. Christianity and Islam have changed all those people who were once pagan and brought them to monotheistic belief. And not only monotheistic belief, belief that generally falls within the seven Noahide laws. So we have taken people that are pagan and 
God, who we believe ultimately conducts the world, has made most people today believe in God. Most people even believe in Moses. Most people in the world even believe in the Torah. So Christianity and Islam, while we don't believe that their beliefs are actually true, the things that they disagree with us on, they are a huge improvement over what was there beforehand. Because they believe in God, they believe in Torah, they believe in the value of life, they believe in the values of family, they believe in property values, they believe in, um, they believe in not being cruel to animals, they believe in laws, they believe in all the Noahide laws. So we're very supportive of Christians being Christian. We're very supportive of Muslims being, uh, of, of Muslims being Muslim. That's a good thing. That's a huge, great development for the world. We've brought the world, or the world has come thanks to us, because we've given them these religions. We've brought them a huge step closer to um, true belief, and we've brought them within belief that we find fully acceptable um, for humanity. We don't have a problem with the, the specific details why we think they're wrong. It's okay. It doesn't bother us. We're okay with that. So to conclude, both we have this interesting um, or nuanced relationship with Christianity, and this is very important. On the one hand, we consider Christianity idol worship. Our ancestors have given their lives not to convert to Christianity. Hundreds of thousands of them have. All of our ancestors have. And so it's important to keep that in mind. We find Christianity offensive to God, and therefore we will not personally involve ourselves um, in Christian celebrations in any way, on the one hand. On the other hand, though, Christianity falls just fine within the Noahide laws. We strongly encourage non-Jews to be Christian, even though we think it's wrong if they ask us our personal opinion, but it's much better than being pagan, and it's much better than being atheist. We have a problem with atheism, too. So they don't believe in God. Being Christian is much better than being atheist. Being Muslim is much better than being atheist. And for that matter, all the other smaller monotheistic religions that have risen over the years, they're all much better than paganism, much better than atheism, much better than some of the new values that have been spreading that don't accept some of the Noahide laws. So we do, on the one hand, we personally as Jews reject Christianity, will give our lives to reject Christianity, and do not celebrate it in any way. On the other hand, we strongly support non-Jews being Christian, um, keeping Christianity. You could tell your non-Jewish neighbors go to church. It's better than not worshiping God at all, right? Better than not believing in God at all. Well, we should try to convince them to change. Try to convince them to change. So you got to do it. You got to do it smartly. Even when you try to convince people to change their mind, the way the Christians did it for a thousand years to us doesn't work, right? Yeah, you, you have to persuade people in a positive way. Exactly. Um, so, so we have those two sides. On the one hand, we do reject Christianity. We consider it idol worship, offensive. We do not celebrate in any way whatsoever. We'll give our lives not to accept it, and our ancestors have done so. On the other hand, we strongly believe Christianity is a huge improvement in the world, much better than atheism, which is our biggest challenge today um, for non-Jews, and would strongly encourage non-Jews to be Christian over being um, atheist or being pagan.